0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. I'm honored to be with you tonight. And as you know, this is the show that respects your intelligence, We honor you as a citizen, and we bring you the facts that a lot of the mainstream media simply aren't willing to cover. Just yesterday, the Republican Party in Arizona was granted access to over 2,000 votes in Maricopa County after they found multiple issues in an initial batch of just 100 ballots. In that batch of 100 ballots, they found mistakes, and in a pattern you've seen repeated many times, all of the mistakes, benefited joe biden we've covered here the sworn testimony of hundreds of affid and the hundreds of affidavits of people who say that they witnessed electoral fraud but what i want to do today is take a step backward and look at some of the numbers use your own common sense and ask yourself does this make sense take a look here at this video from trump trump 2020 strategic advisor steve cortez
2: Continuing with the theme of the improbability of Biden's supposed win, he only won one out of every six counties in America, 524 of them, that is 350, fewer counties than Barack Obama won in 2008. Now, is it possible to win the presidency with that few counties? It is, but you have to run up the score in the most populous ones. Yesterday, I showed you that in the top three counties in America, uh, in fact, the president outperformed versus 2016 in Los Angeles County, in Chicago's Cook, and in Houston's Harris. Now, let's look at New York City. Uh, The boroughs are their own counties. In Manhattan, the president picked up 7,000 votes and a substantial 5% on margin versus 2016. The Bronx, 20,000 votes, 7% on margin. Queens, working class Queens, over 40,000 net votes and 8% on margin. As you can see, the president is outperforming in the biggest metro area in America. So it really strains belief that Biden outperformed only in the metro areas of the swing states. One last point here, which I find fascinating, Manhattan is half white, the Bronx only 9% white. Note that the president did well in both relative to 16, but did better in the Bronx. Proof positive that he is building, that we as a movement are building a multiracial, multi-ethnic workers, America first movement.
1: Well, joining us now is the man who made that video, Steve Cortez. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, You bet. Steve, I want to start here. Uh, You've looked at the numbers and you've looked at them across the country. First, just give us your big picture analysis for our viewers. What's the most important thing that you've discovered and that you're seeing?
2: Sure, and Eric, just as a quick, by way of background, uh, in terms of my bio, the reason I'm taking this approach of of the statistical improbability of a supposed Biden win is I spent 25 years on Wall Street and my main job Mm. there as a strategist for some of the biggest hedge funds in the world was to assess market probability. So I did exactly these kinds of calculations for a living for 25 years. So I have that kind of mindset and I hope I have some credentials. I'm applying those same principles to this election because even election night, I was at Trump campaign headquarters just outside the nation's capital in Arlington, Virginia. And as we saw the returns change into the wee hours of the morning, Mm. what struck me immediately was, this is improbable to the point of being impossible. Now, mm-hmm. that was just my gut at that point telling me, but I think my gut has been proven correct because the numbers bear that out. And and I've made a lot of these videos. I've written a lot of articles about the statistical improbability. To me, though, Eric, to answer your question, the most significant argument against a supposed Biden win, and I think there's a lot of them, but the most significant sure. is the complete lack or almost complete lack of vetting of mail-in votes. And what oh, I mean by always- that is the Rock bottom rejection rate. And let me be specific here and put numbers behind it, because, again, I'm a numbers guy. I don't like to just sloganeer. And I'll give you two states specifically. Uh, The second worst state in this regard was Georgia. So typically, in most elections in Georgia and elsewhere, the rejection rate in a normal year, where you don't have a ton of mail-in ballots, just standard mail-in ballots, rejection rate is typically about 1%. For first-time mail-in ballots, it's about 3% historically. People just tend to make mistakes Mm -hmm. or they're not valid voters. They're not legal voters. They're not registered. They moved, whatever. Uh, In this election in Georgia, even though we had, of course, an absolute surge of mail-in voting, six times the normal, six times 2016, the rejection rate there went from the standard 1% in 2016, um, all the way, excuse me, it went from 3% there in 2016. It went all the way down to 0.24%. So literally one twelfth the level of rejections, even though the volume surged and the right. first time volume massively surged. If anything, if it were a valid, real scrutiny applied to these ballots, we believe the number should have gone up the percentage that were rejected. Instead, the number plummeted. It's even worse in Pennsylvania. The number of rejected ballots there, 003 percent, point zero three. Their last time it was one percent. So that is one thirtieth. The level of rejected ballots in pennsylvania what that tells us i think eric statistically speaking uh, is that there was no scrutiny at all there was no validation there was no verification and what that means constitutionally and this is what our trump campaign legal team is working so hard on that means that you effectively created two classes of voters people who showed up in person who presented themselves who presented identification who presented a signature three levels of verification to make sure they are legal valid voters and then this entire mass of millions of votes uh, that are completely, completely unsubstantiated. And again, that's not my opinion. We know that right. based on the number. Create two classes of voters is unconstitutional. It violates the 14th Amendment. It violates equal protection. Uh, to me, among the many legal challenges that we're mounting, this is the most significant legal challenge to these results as
1: stated. Awesome. And Steve, one of the things that I really appreciate about what you do, and I know that our viewers do, is that you dig into the numbers and you present very clear facts. Could you talk with our viewers about what you've discovered about bellwether counties in the country? First, give them a brief explanation of what a bellwether county is and then what happened in the 2020 election, please.
2: Absolutely. So I'm doing a lot of county work uh, as well. And you you thank thank you for showing that video of New York, uh, where I, I point out that You can win with with only winning one-sixth of the counties in the Mm -hmm. United States, as Joe Biden did, but you have to run up the score then in the very populous counties, places like Los Angeles, which is far and away the biggest county in America, twice as big as the second biggest county, which is Cook. Only here's the problem with that. The president actually outperformed. Now, he didn't come close to winning Los Angeles County, but he did quite a lot better than he did in 2016. He gained a half million new voters in Los Angeles County, and he gained four percent on margin mm-hmm. compared to 2016. So that my point is, the idea that Joe Biden won the presidency at the county level, again, the statistics tell otherwise, and to your point about bellwether counties, there are 19 counties in this country considered bellwethers because they basically always get it right, or almost always. These counties have determined, have voted correctly for the winning presidential candidate
3: since 1980, these 19 counties.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, this in and of itself, Eric, does not prove anything, right. but again, when, right. when you line this up, with all the other statistical evidence it creates a scenario that is so improbable as to be impossible that Joe Biden actually won of these 19 counties that have had it right since 1980 18 of them voted for president trump and most of them by substantial margins trump didn't squeak it out okay he won by double digits right. in these in 18 of these 19 counties and yet somehow he lost the presidency there's one county in particular vigo county in indiana it is the most predictive county in all of america mm-hmm. it's only gotten one election right in the last century um and even that one you can kind of forgive because in 1952 they voted for adlai stevenson who was from illinois right. It borders illinois so they voted to some extent for their native son right. over right. eisenhower they got that one wrong otherwise they've been perfect for a century Uh, President Trump won Vigo County by 15%. And again, in isolation, that doesn't prove anything. But when you look at it in the totality of the statistical evidence, I think the case is absolutely compelling that President Trump won the legal vote.
1: And again, these these are counties that voted for Barack Obama in 2008, voted for Barack Obama in 2012, voted for Donald Trump in 2016. These are counties that historically got it right. There's 19 of them and 18 of them went. For president trump now now turning also to house races um i think that the cook political report had something like 27 you'll know the exact numbers 27 toss-up house races what happened in those races
2: no you're exactly right it's 27 what happened well guess what we went 27 for 27. so this is also part of the improbability of of a biden win is the fact that the the america first movement the republican party did so well at so many levels that it seems, again, improbable to the point of impossibility that President Trump did not also win. All 27 of the battleground house races, according to the Cook Political Report, which if anything, by the way, leans a little bit left, Mm -hmm. not trying to do President Trump any favors, but of their identified races, every single one of them broke in favor of the Republicans. It's rare in politics to have that kind of a sweep, to go 27 for 27. The GOP did, uh, and mind you, it would be one thing if the president were not popular with his party, because then maybe you can make that case of, okay, right. a lot of Republicans came out and supported these congressional candidates, but they didn't like the president. Well. That's not the case here this is this is a man with 95% support among Republicans he's probably the most popular politician within his party in history or at least in decades in the United States so this too and we can also look similar story at the state house level the Democrats really believed that mm-hmm. they could flip four or five state house chambers around the country they, they believed they were vulnerable none of that happened the Republicans did not lose one and in fact flipped three Flip three in favor of the Republicans. So there was an absolute red wave. There was an America First triumph on November third at every level except for the presidency. And and to get back to the presidency too, yeah. in terms of the video yeah. that you first showed, what's so important is we are to believe if we believe that Joe Biden won, we are to believe that he outperformed massively only in the metro areas, only in the swing states. In yeah. other let's, words, let's Hawaii, hit that.
1: Let's hit Detroit, that. Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just I think that's such an important point, because what you're saying is he did better in L.A., he did better in Chicago, he did better in Houston, he did better in these big metro areas around the country, the president did. but. Only in the swing state metro areas, you're saying that you actually saw a difference. We've just got got about 30 seconds left, Steve. Go ahead. No,
2: Exactly. It's very, very hard to believe. For example, Chicago and Milwaukee are almost next to each other. The fact that the president in deeply blue Chicago outperformed, but then massively underperforms in Milwaukee and Milwaukee has 84 percent turnout, 84 percent. We're really supposed to believe that. Again, it just, it strains credibility. It's improbable to the point where I believe it's impossible. It's part of the reason why we are fighting so hard to try to secure what we believe is the legal vote victory of President Trump.
1: Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your analysis. We appreciate you bringing the facts and the numbers to our viewers, which are so often ignored by the mainstream media. Folks, that's Steve Cortez. We're going to be right back in just a minute. Stay with us.
4: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
1: Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. For years now, but especially in the last few months, we've seen a major shift in the way that people are choosing to stay informed. And that difference has given a major boost to platforms like this right here at Real America's Voice and outlets like Just the News. The fact is people no longer trust the mainstream media to give them the truth. Well, the Gateway Pundit is certainly taking advantage of the mass exodus from the mainstream media establishment. In November of 2020, the Gateway Pundit had over 125 million page views. It's the ninth time this year that they've broken their all-time monthly traffic records, which means that recently the Gateway Pundit climbed to number 104 in the rankings for top websites in the country. To give you some perspective, that means that the Gateway Pundit is listed above USA Today, Forbes, NBC News, NPR, and even the Wall Street Journal. Of course, this is despite the constant onslaught of attacks by the liberal media and tech giants. But joining us now is Jim Hoff, founder of The Gateway Pundit. Jim, really great to have you on.
5: Great to be back with you, Eric. Good to see you.
1: You bet, man. So, So first, in your opinion, right, why are people leaving the mainstream media and coming to places like The Gateway
5: Pundit? Well, you know, Eric, I think the mainstream media right now, and I think you'll see this yourself, mm-hmm. uh, they think that this election is over and we need to just, you know, shut up, sit down and move on. And I think there's uh, millions and millions of Trump supporters who don't agree with that. Yeah. And no matter how hard the media is trying to uh, make us just go away and be silent, uh, there's still uh, millions and millions of Americans who just disagree with this and see that the election was stolen we're we're uh, their voice right now. And uh, actually, uh, the number of outlets they can choose is dwindling. I'm glad you're here mm. so that uh, you can provide that service also.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that we've seen is that we're just putting forward the facts. We have Americans across the country, in Michigan, who are out there, in Arizona, in Georgia, who are coming forward signing sworn affidavits, putting their lives, their jobs, their reputations on the line, swearing that they saw or were asked to be a part of election fraud, But the mainstream media just isn't covering the issue. I mean, fair enough if they want to cross-examine folks, if they want to dig into the evidence. But the fact that they're just literally turning their heads away from Americans who are coming forward, some of them who've been Democrats for decades, saying that widespread fraud occurred on their watch, they're making these allegations, it's strange, I think, that the mainstream media wouldn't even cover the story. What are you finding from your readers in the comments? What are people really coming to Gateway Pundit for?
5: You know, I think there's a seething rage underneath uh, the, the, you know, whatever what we're seeing out there. And I think people are very upset. Uh, I had actual friends who were inside the TCF Center in Detroit mm. uh, on November 4th, and they've uh, organized and they've uh, took testimonies. We posted several up on the Gateway Pundit. And uh, as you said, it's, it's, uh, it's not just that the media is, misrepresents facts, but their biggest flaw is that they just ignore the facts yeah. and they won't even share it with the American public.
1: You know, one one big story that's coming out, uh, speaking of of media bias, is that just in the last 24 hours, new tapes that were recorded secretly by James O'Keefe and his team at Project uh, Veritas were released. Um, As you know, this time it's CNN's President Jeff Zucker and his senior team. And what they were talking about is in the weeks leading up to the 2020 election, they're talking about all of the evidence that was coming out about Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and whether or not they were going to cover this issue that concerned Hunter Biden and Vice President Biden. If we could, I want you to take a listen and then then get your reaction here.
4: The Hunter Biden story was an explosive blow against Joe Biden leading up to the presidential election. But listen on this 9 a.m. editorial conference call at CNN how President Jeff Zucker chooses to not cover this important story.
6: I think uh, on the Breitbart, New York Post, Fox News, rabbit hole of hunter biden which i don't think anybody outside of that world understood last night the wall street journal reported that uh their review of all corporate records so showed no role for joe biden uh on the um uh, uh on the chinese deal and yes i do put more credibility in the wall street journal than i do in the new york post um obviously uh we're not going with the uh, New York Post story uh, right now on Hunter Biden, and uh, which
0: seems to be uh, giving its marching orders to Fox News and the right-wing echo chamber about what to uh, talk about today. Obviously, Hunter Biden's lawyer is quoted in that New York uh, Post piece, and we'll
6: just continue to report out this is the very stuff that the president was impeached over. This is the stuff that Senate committees looked at and found nothing wrong in uh, Joe Biden's uh, interactions uh, with Ukrainians and and uh, now having an email that uh, perhaps there was a meeting with someone uh, from Burisma is, uh, uh, it seems, uh, Rudy Giuliani's sort of
0: dream-a-vision of, of how to throw stuff at the wall in these closing days of the
6: campaign. Hey Jeff, it's just David on the Burisma story, and we should be awfully careful about that obviously. But I do think there's a media story of what in the world are uh, Maggie Hammerman and
1: uh, jake sherman doing retweeting that story so jim there there was an inside look at how cnn was deciding not to cover this story about hunter biden and and you know it wasn't just an email about burisma there were emails documents records witnesses who came forward and said that when they were talking about a payoff for the big guy that they were talking about joe biden what do you make of this
5: Uh, I think it's not a surprise that this is happening at CNN. I think Mm. it's outrageous that they pretend that they're reporting all the news. Um, I think they hid this from the American public. And I think that story was uh, at least 100 times bigger than what they thought it was. Um, We certainly posted on this. It seems like light years away now because that was the week before the election. Mm. But um, it's just outrageous that they would bury such an important story. And Eric, of course, you know. If this would have been a Trump family member, they would have uh, it would have been on 24 hours straight on CNN.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, there's just this, this glaring double standard in what they're willing to cover and what they're not uh, willing to cover. Uh, give us a sense now, Jim, for some of the big stories that you guys are, are following
5: uh, at Gateway Pundit. Well, you know, Eric, we continue to uh, broadcast a lot of these hearings that are going on mm-hmm. in these swing states, the battleground states that are still contested, we believe. Um, so that's getting a lot of traffic at Gateway Pundit. We're also following uh, today a strange story that Breitbart uh, took pot shots at uh, Wood. That's getting a lot of traffic because, again, people don't understand what's going on there. And, uh, and we also have from the Show Me State, Eric, uh, this representative, Justin Hill. He's a, a state rep, and he's uh, pressing uh, charges, I believe or filing a request anyway with uh, the, the, the attorney general uh, against Dominion because he believes they've been operating illegally in the state of Missouri. So that's a pretty big story. And uh, it's, it's very important that people understand uh, more about this shady company company that uh decided the election for us Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: and jim you know one thing i want to get your your thoughts on uh before before we have to go is also about how big tech censorship works if you could just share with our viewers your experience at the gateway pundit i know you've told me in the past that you used to get a lot of traffic would come your way via facebook or via google and that in the and now they've put things in place that have changed that radically. Talk a little bit about the mechanics yeah. of how that
5: censorship has worked. Well, certainly after the 2016 election, the tech giants, uh, being, they were pushed by uh, all these liberal groups to start censoring uh, conservative outlets like Breitbart and Gateway Pundit and Fox News. And so our traffic went down from about 30% of our traffic was Facebook. It's down to just dwindling down to 2 or 3%, not today. Wow over the last few years. Now, thank God um, our, our traffic has grown in several ways because we continue to uh, report the stories that the rest of the media is just not willing to report. So our traffic has really boomed, but um, it's outrageous. They put a lot of conservatives out of business, these uh, tech giants by not allowing them to have the traffic that, uh, that they had before the 2016 election. So it's it's a real problem. And we see that now with the way that they, uh, censor our posts. They censored the President of the United States. I've seen I've seen double censors on Trump's tweets where they mm. put two flags on it. So it's outrageous, it's out of control.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> and Jim, again, so it used to be the case that people could share your stories on social media and then other people would, would click on them. But what you're saying is that over time, especially since 2016, the ability of people to actually find you via social has gone down. How are people actually finding right. you And other sites like yours now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
5: um, and actually what the tech giants do too is if somebody retweets a story of ours, Mm. they'll they'll shut down their account and suspend them for 12 hours. So do you think they're going to retweet another story of ours in the future? Of course not. They're training people how to think and Mm. how to behave. Um, People can find The Gateway Pundit by going directly to our website. That's where we get most of our traffic at uh, thegatewaypundit.com.
1: Good. And then also, Jim, just give us give us uh, your perspective. As we're seeing more and more censorship from Big Tech, I mean, I don't think this problem is going to be solved by anything that's going to happen in Washington, D.C. or in any state capitals. What's your advice to your fellow citizens about how to really fight back and make sure that we preserve the First Amendment?
5: I think this is a pivotal moment in our country, Eric. Um, I've You know, we saw what they did with the election. Mm. Trump had a landslide to to seeing it stolen from him. He's fighting back. I agree with that. But um, people, I think, really just need to wake up. And if they want the truth, they're going to have to take that extra step and type in uh, a website. And they just can't trust this media anymore. Awesome.
1: Well, Jim, we very much appreciate you uh, joining us here again today. We look forward to having you uh, back on. Thanks so much for for joining us. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and folks, you know one of the things that you can do is also go out to justthenews.com. Go directly there to justthenews.com as well. We've got a lot of compelling stories there, and then share those directly uh, with your friends. We here at Actionable Intelligence are going to keep bringing you the stories that the mainstream media often ignores, and we'll be back in just one minute. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. And we're going to be joined now by my friend and longtime St. Louis talk radio host, Jamie Allman. Jamie hosts Radio Free Allman weekdays. You can catch him live on Facebook Live. Hey, Jamie, it's great to have you with us, man.
6: It's great to see you again, too, buddy. Looking fantastic. show is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Jimmy, you've been traveling the country.
1: You've been out there covering the Freedom Rallies. You've been out there covering the Stop the Steal Rallies. Just give our viewers who haven't been there themselves a sense for what you're seeing right now.
6: Well, i got to tell you, I've been out traveling also not only the Freedom Free all, but the 1776 Forever Free, the Freedom Tour there. And that's a great organization. So we've been uh, to Phoenix as well as to Atlanta, Georgia. And both these times, I'm telling you what, I'm sitting there, I'm doing these live streams and everything else, and I'm literally getting goosebumps because I am seeing the energy and the diversity of these people who are attending these rallies. You don't see this in the mainstream media. You see it at Real America's Voice. And other places, but in the mainstream media, they're not showing the people who are there. They, they, the black people, the white people, the young women with with earrings through their noses, and, and the, the hippies, and the and the oldsters, and the gun toters and all that kind of thing. It's a diverse crowd. It's people who are realizing that, in in fact, they feel their vote did not count, and and every single illegal vote is a violation of the civil rights of every single legal vote. And these people are out there. They are hungry for answers. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you mm-hmm. something. This isn't, this isn't about being sore losers. This, is as even D- Donald Trump has said, this is about finding out what the true vote happens to be. Not the stolen vote, but the true vote. But the diversity of people out there, not unlike the diversity of people who support Donald Trump, unlike any other Republican, has gotten that kind of attention before. So it's a hugely diverse crowd. It's a lot of people who are simply true Americans. This isn't about the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. This is about the integrity of our elections and our future elections. So the diverse crowd is what really amazes me. And, and, And it is energetic. When you're in the middle of those folks, it is amazing. Yeah, I mean, one of the
1: things that is striking, and we hear from viewers who are Republicans, Democrats, independents, they want to know the truth. And a lot of them are incredibly frustrated that the mainstream media simply isn't covering this clear evidence where you have people coming forward signing sworn affidavits putting their names their reputations their jobs on the line saying that they witnessed voter fraud but you're just not getting that story covered uh, by the mainstream media you know Jamie last night uh, President Trump gave in an update in what he calls the most important speech he may ever give we've got a short clip from that speech I want you to listen to it and then I'd love to get your reaction let's go ahead and here.
4: Thank you. This may be the most important speech I've ever made. I want to provide an update on our ongoing efforts to expose the tremendous voter fraud and irregularities which took place during the ridiculously long November 3rd elections. We used to have what was called Election Day. Now we have Election Days, weeks and months, And lots of bad things happened during this ridiculous period of time, especially when you have to prove almost nothing to exercise our greatest privilege, the right to vote. As President, I have no higher duty than to defend the laws and the Constitution of the United States. That is why I am determined to protect our election system, which is now under coordinated assault and siege. For months leading up to the presidential election, we were warned that we should not declare a premature victory. We were told repeatedly that it would take weeks, if not months, to determine the winner, to count the absentee ballots, and to verify the results. My opponent was told to stay away from the election. Don't campaign. We don't need you. We've got it. This election is done. In fact, They were acting like they already knew what the outcome was going to be. They had it covered, and perhaps they did, very sadly for our country. It was all very, very strange. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint a winner, even while many key states were still being counted. The constitutional process must be allowed to continue. We are going to defend the honesty of the vote, by ensuring that every legal ballot is counted and that no illegal ballot is counted. This is not just about honoring the votes of 74 million Americans who voted for me. It's about ensuring that Americans can have faith in this election and in all future elections.
1: All right, Jamie, give us us your thoughts and your breakdown on
4: that.
6: Well, first of all, there's a man with the patience of Job and the stoicism of a true American patriot right there. I don't know how he does it. It must be so frustrating, especially since this is something he predicted was Mm. going to happen. Remember when he was talking about the mail-in voting and even about the United States Postal Service. And remember, there was a string of stories there that went on for about a week and a half about how Donald Trump was attacking our institution known as the Postal Service. And they even showed us, you know, the Pony Express and the historical nature and how terrible it is that President Trump is attacking the Postal Service. And it turns out that just when he predicted that it would be a mess, that there would be violations of the mail-in voting, everything else, It actually wound up coming true. A lot of us believed that his landslide would be so formidable, there's no amount of fraud that would get in the way. And it turns out that the Democrats and others who were plotting all this were way ahead of any of us. In fact, it's interesting. He said something very simple that I think a lot of Americans can understand that is, we used to have just an election day. And now suddenly we have. 5,000 different ways of voting, suddenly mail-in voting. At first, we all thought, well, that's a debate that we're going to have, I guess, at some point. And then suddenly we turn on the TV and there are these gigantic voting boxes there. It's like, how could that possibly be? And so uh, the people who were plotting all of this under the cover of COVID-19 and everything else were way ahead of this. This This is like an acorn project, even though acorn was blown up a long time ago. This was a regimented and clearly fraudulent approach to the election in these swing states. You mentioned earlier that all the people who are testifying, there's another Mm -hmm. example of the diversity of these people who are testifying. You have seen truck drivers and subcontractors. You saw a woman who was uh, monitoring civil rights in Michigan for 29 years who was testifying. You saw a woman who was a recent immigrant from India who was monitoring our elections. You saw other people who were there with with no true possible stake in trying to lie their way through this thing. And yet, as you say, the media is completely ignoring it. When President Trump speaks though, they can't, and he knows that. Yeah, and, and actually on that
1: point, I want to get your thoughts. You've been an independent journalist for a long time. I can't even remember how many Emmy Awards you've won. I think it's over, over a dozen. Uh, and you've been seeing better than most a lot of the true bias in the mainstream media. I want to play a clip from the CNN tapes that were leaked by Project Veritas uh, from the weeks before the 2020 election. And, and listen, listen to what they have to say here communism, socialism,
4: uh, uh, rhetoric as part of his uh, hook for the Cubans in Miami, how that has resonated and how the Biden, uh, this, the Biden team has not done enough to counter that. This is all, that, that
1: the only reason they are supporting Trump is because of that narrative. And that narrative and the fact that, sadly, I have to say, Uh, There's a population that uh, is very attracted to bullies, and no one is countering it properly
3: in Florida. The Cubans are going to vote for Trump, and that's terrifying. And
5: so um, I think that there is a way to counter the narrative in Florida that is
0: not being taken advantage of.
1: All right, Jamie, what what do you make of this straight from the
6: CNN editorial call? Well, Talk about bullies. I mean, the mainstream media is infested with them. I've been in news meetings like that in local television. I know exactly how people talk to each other when they're having their news meetings. You know, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas do such a great job. So this is no diminishment of what they're doing. But I will tell you, and I know you know this, that there was not one surprise that came out of any of that reporting. Only reaffirmation and confirmation of what we already suspected, but they all told us that we were crazy, you know? But so that's the, that's the one great thing that James O'Keefe and Project Veritas did was confirm what we've been called conspiracy theorists for saying, and that is these people talk behind our backs all the time, they have no interest in the truth. It's, and it's not only in what they cover, but as we've also seen, it's what they do not cover. Sometimes mm-hmm. bias can mm-hmm. be in the form of what they choose to leave on the cutting room floor or not even cover at all. So none of this was a surprise. And I was down in Atlanta at the CNN Center when we had the protest down there. And boy, I'll tell you what, it was – there were people all over the joint. CNN – really has a problem on its hand, uh, like almost Fox News does to a certain degree, but CNN has a real problem on its hands, and people are just absolutely upset, which is why they're watching your show and why they're listening to my radio show and everything else. The mainstream media, some even that we thought were friendly before, have simply dropped off the face of the earth and are trying to move the ball forward. They're already putting Reese up for Christmas, and I understand that, but we're still talking about November 3rd. Absolutely. And Jamie,
1: just in the 30 seconds that we have left, uh, remind people where they can catch your radio show. And then also give us your thoughts on how people are leaving and why they're leaving the mainstream media.
6: Okay. Well, don't, don't tell anybody, but I'm on, don't tell Facebook, but I actually do a show on Facebook called Radio Free Almond. So to, you know, get in while the getting is good. No, they—they've been actually pretty good to me, so they let me get away with a lot. I've got a YouTube channel, radio free almond. I have an app you can download on the on uh, on Android or on uh, the the iPhone. I've got the PT News Network going, so we I'm 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 anywhere. You can't actually avoid me at this point. So uh, try to try to run me out, but I'll be around. And and people are leaving the mainstream media because I mean, even here locally in St. Louis, we're even with the COVID-19 and the shutdowns, we're seeing the news media actually Mm -hmm. escorting, you know, All these fascists in the health department, everything else, when they go and close down uh, the restaurants and things like that. The news media just simply is not our friend, never has been. They're no friend of common sense. They don't live like common sense people do. No, they
1: they certainly don't. They don't have that kind of common sense uh, sensibility. Well, we're we're pushing up against a a break here, Jamie. But so good to have you on, folks. It's Jamie Allman with Radio Free Allman. Stay right with us. We're going to be back in a second. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. Well, there's a pair of COVID-19 vaccines that are now up for FDA authorization. And there are, of course, a lot of questions about a potential vaccine, including some real concerns about how states are right now collecting and reporting data. And as Just the News contributor, Daniel Payne, has reported, state health departments across the country are failing to collect critical COVID-19 pandemic data. Daniel, tell us a little bit about what you found.
3: Well, Erica, in this uh, pretty pretty, uh, broad investigation that we conducted, we reached out to uh, health departments in every U.S. state. And what we asked them was if they record and keep Uh, the cycle threshold levels of COVID-19 tests. Now that sounds a little esoteric and confusing, but basically what it means is the way these tests work is that when you, this particular test called a PCR test, when you put a potential viral sample in it, the machine amplifies that sample to the point that it can make a detection about whether or not the virus is present. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that if the machine has to go through a whole lot of amplification cycles to find the virus, it means you probably didn't have much virus in the original sample to begin with. A lower number of cycles means that there was more virus present. It probably means you're more sick or more infectious. So it's really what could be a pretty decisive piece of information. If you get a positive COVID-19 test, if you find out that your cycle threshold was very high, then you might have a better idea about whether or not you're infectious, whether or not you should be really worried. And the thing that we found is that states really aren't tracking this data and that patients really don't have access to it in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah, and just to make to make sense for, for all of our viewers of this cycle threshold, I mean I'm gonna use kind of a, a rough analogy here, but basically the cycles are the number of times that they have to amplify something in order to find it. So right. if you have to cycle through it multiple times, you have to amplify it again and again before you find something, it means that what you found was actually quite small or hard to find to begin with. And what you're what you're saying is that states just aren't keeping that information as if, you know, and they're, so they're not keeping the information about what it took to actually find the virus.
3: Right. That's what uh, the, most of the responses we received uh, uh, revealed. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, infectious disease experts and public health officials who, who dispute the relevance of cycle threshold numbers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more that say they're very important. Uh, What's, what's pretty obvious is that it should be something that the public has access to. And certainly the patients that get positive test results also should have access to.
1: Absolutely, now Daniel, you've got another story on justthenews.com and I'd love to get your your, uh, comments and explanation on this. It has to do with a study out of Denmark about wearing masks. Tell us please what you found there.
3: Yeah, so uh, this was um, uh, throughout the the, uh, late summer and into the fall. There was rumors of this Danish mass study uh, that had been conducted. It was the largest uh, randomized trial of a, of a face coverings in the COVID nineteen COVID nineteen pandemic conducted a date, and there were rumors that the study was completed, um, that the data was available, that but that multiple journals were rejecting it, and mm-hmm. that actually turned out to be the case. That uh, these scientists in um, in Denmark had, had submitted this uh, this study everywhere, and they had gotten it rejected at multiple prominent outlets. And they finally actually did get it published. I think it was early last month, maybe late October.
1: Yeah. And and tell tell our viewers, please, you know, what was actually in the study? What were their findings? And what, what was the explanation for why it was it was rejected for so long?
3: So uh, the this, this thing that they were examining was whether or not wearing a face mask protects you against COVID. Now, mm-hmm. the justification for wearing face masks throughout the course of the pandemic has generally been that it keeps the virus contained. If you're infected with it, that it's actually a matter of what they call source control. Now, this study sought to answer a slightly different question, which was whether or not the wearing the mask protects you from getting mm-hmm. infected with COVID. And the scientists basically found there's not a lot of compelling evidence to to make that claim that it does protect you. And um, it was rejected, I think, over disputes of their methodology and their conclusions. But it eventually was published, and the conclusions were that masks offer apparently uh, a very little to no protection for those who wear them.
1: Well, Daniel, we appreciate you, you joining us today. We know that those stories are available <clears throat> at justthenews.com. Thanks so much for, for being, being on with us. Always a pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. You bet. Hey, and guys, while we're on the topic of COVID-19, I also wanted to highlight another article that you can find currently at justthenews.com, and it has to do with the death count that's being attributed to COVID. And it's about a story about a report that was put out by Johns Hopkins University. Last week, Johns Hopkins University published and then deleted a study examining the effects of the coronavirus on U.S. death tolls using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. To discuss this more, we're gonna bring in the author of the Just the News article, Sophie Mann. Sophie, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. Absolutely,
1: so break this down for, for our viewers a little bit. What did you find?
0: Sure. Well, so the meat of this um, study that had been published out of Johns Hopkins was it was looking at the COVID death rates from um, an economical perspective. So the woman who authored the study, Genevieve Briand, is an applied economist as opposed to an epidemiologist or a lot of the people from the medical field that we've seen breaking down these numbers. And basically what her hypothesis is, is that to understand really the, um, the impact that the coronavirus has had on U.S. death tolls, in a plain way we need to compare the number of people who have died this year to any other year and in similar categories so obviously before 2020 the coronavirus wasn't something that was taking the lives of americans but what she did was look at the number of um, elderly individuals who we know are typically hit harder by this virus than most, and compared it year over year. And what she actually found was that there had not been any rise in that category of death. And what she also found that was interesting, and the thing that really kind of spurred more commentary and questions out of the study was that when she looked at the tip, tip, what are typically the rates um or the causes of the most deaths in america so that's like heart disease diabetes the things that year over year increase is that in 2020 those numbers had actually begun to decline and that didn't make sense to her because there's no reason that Mm -hmm. that that would be the case Um, and so what that led her to believe and she's not coming out and making a statement about it but she certainly believes there are more questions to be asked is how are these numbers being reported? And as you and Daniel just discussed, there's there there's some question about how hospitals and medical professionals and sort of these aggregating agencies are attributing coronavirus deaths. Um, and so her question is, why is this happening? Are Americans really dying of you know heart attacks and high cholesterol and things like that less, or are they dying of those things? And you know the coronavirus death is being slapped on the death certificate and released publicly, which there's questions about the legality of that as well. Um, but so so those questions came up. Um, and what happened was Johns Hopkins had had a discussion with the author of the article uh, to sort of promote it and get a better understanding of it for their viewing audience. And that article went up and was then promptly deleted after a couple of days and the news cycle picking it up and it sort of fostering conversation about what was going on. They, you know, the the reaction to it was so vast and so interested that Johns Hopkins felt it was leading to sort of questions about uh, the coronavirus pandemic and lockdowns that are happening in perpetuity that they were uncomfortable with. And they said that it was spreading misinformation, um, despite the fact that they stand by the results of the study itself, which you can still see. But so they stripped down this article and deleted the discussion from the public discourse. because, you know, there were questions coming out of it that they appeared to be uncomfortable with.
1: So let's talk first again, just to kind of review the findings and then the methodology. Basically the way I understand it is that the findings were that year over year, Mm -hmm. the same number of people were dying in 2020 as died in 2019, as Mm -hmm. died in 2018. So, and that would run counter to the general understanding, this idea that there are a whole lot more people who are dying because of coronavirus. They're saying that year after year, the death toll is the same. They're also saying that if you look at the numbers, like the leading cause of death, heart disease, for example, you look at these leading causes of death, that the 2020 numbers show that suddenly, there's a big drop in heart disease deaths as yeah. if like there's been some big medical breakthrough where people aren't dying from heart disease in 2020 but that the numbers actually there then are being perhaps reclassified as coronavirus deaths is that is that the basic finding
0: that is the basic finding and yeah. i mean i, I don't want to speak for the author she's sure. not she's not accusing anybody of anything but right. what she's certainly saying is we need to ask these let's questions look at these because yeah. in particular the number of people who let's say stopped dying of heart disease this year, that deficit figure exactly makes up the additional figure of people that are being reported to have died of coronavirus. So the numbers sort of fit together in a suspiciously perfect way. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, more conversation is clearly warranted. Yeah. And it's something that we want the public to be thinking about and asking the CDC about um, and asking our health agencies about and not something that we want to see repressed and hidden from view. Yeah.
1: And you'd certainly think that scientists and academics who should be pursuing the truth would want to look at these numbers and really dig in to figure them out. And so when they pulled this down, they said that they stand by it, that there's nothing wrong with the methodology mm-hmm. of the study, that there was nothing wrong with the numbers, but they just decided to pull it down because they didn't... What was their explanation? Because they didn't like the conclusions, because they were worried about it?
0: What they said was that the publishing of the study had led to a discourse online that they felt was quote leading to the spread of misinformation having to do with the coronavirus pandemic which if you think about it is a little bit counterintuitive because mm-hmm. if what they are, are standing by is in fact true or at least true enough for them to stand by yeah. then how can that then lead to a discussion that is predicated on falsehoods I mean <sighs> discussions online get out of control we know that but if it's if the information that they're putting out there is good and they're proud of it and they are if they feel comfortable standing by the actual study, then it, it doesn't quite track that they would say, but we don't trust the public with this information.
1: Yeah, you think if, the, if, if it's true, if the information is true, then let the public uh, have a look at it and, and discuss it. Well, Sophie, we very much appreciate you bringing this and other stories at JustTheNews.com. We know that people will go there and check this out. Again, it's Sophie Mann at JustTheNews.com. Guys, it's great to be on with you, and we'll be back tomorrow night with more here at Actionable Intelligence. Talk to you soon.